Hey, Real Talkers, cost of living is up, way up for the average Albertan. What's Premier Danielle Smith's plan to make things like electricity and auto insurance more affordable? How is she going to respond to Ottawa's carbon tax break for Atlantic Canadians? How far will she stick out her neck on that Alberta pension plan? And is Edmonton about to get 300 million bucks after Calgary got a bunch of cash for its new arena? Don't miss this exclusive half-hour sit-down with Alberta's Premier on today's episode of Real Talk. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, thanks for joining us on a special edition of Real Talk on this November 1st. Alberta's Premier, Daniel Smith, joining me live in studio on the heels of the speech from the throne. This is uh, her first after receiving a mandate, a majority government back in the Alberta election. Of course, that provincial election back in May. A lot of people have been watching, have been waiting to see what this government's top priorities will be. Today, we'll dig into those. Plus, we'll get into questions submitted by you. Uh, You gave us our work. Uh, You gave us a big pile of emails to choose from, and we're going to cover as much ground as possible with Alberta's Premier. That coming up in 30 seconds. First, though, we've all heard that credential fraud is on the rise, whether it's nurses, oil patch workers, personal support workers. There's been no shortage of news headlines where a fake credential is putting people's safety at risk. Luckily, there's an innovative technology that will make credential fraud a thing of the past. Digital verifiable credentials are secure, cloud-based credentials that are far beyond uh, a traditional certificate and uh, digital badge or PDF. They're impossible to forge, falsify, or alter. Verifiable credentials are tamper-proof and independently verifiable credentials that use open web standards, trusted, real-time digital credentials that live in a digital wallet so they can be viewed, managed, and shared from anywhere. And with We Know training, they can plug seamlessly into your training courses. You want to learn more about using verifiable credentials in your training or credentialing program, visit verifiablecredentials.ca. As we welcome Alberta's Premier live to the Real Talk studio on this Wednesday, it's nice to see you. Uh, hours removed from Halloween. What does Halloween look like for the Premier of Alberta? It was so awesome. I had a number of kids who came by from the staff in the building trick-or-treating. I think I, I didn't see anything quite as cool as your costume. Though. Oh, you saw the family costume? I saw the family costume. It was <laughs> yeah. amazing. You got to post that. I, can, I, I haven't really, I've been criticized for not posting quickly enough, but my <laughs> wife shows up and does this work so people can check out Carrie Skelton on Instagram and you can see our family as the Incredibles. Um, this was. Uh, you look pretty good in tights. Yeah. Or, well, do I have to call HR now? Have a, I don't think so. That? I think okay. if, if I welcome the comment, a guy came up to me on the street as we were walking, and, and he said, "Attaboy, buddy, you just gotta own it." I said, "Oh, thank you very much." So there we are, as, as the Incredibles. Um, uh, so I, I'm reading in and hear this this episode presented by Verifiable Credentials. We know training, and, and right out of the gates, I said, "We've heard now that credential fraud is on the mm-hmm. rise." When you're Alberta's premier, do, do you have to always kind of be eyes and ears? You hear something like that, and all of a sudden your team's going to look into this, or is this something that's been on your radar? That is exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Because we are doing a lot with the with the private colleges and the private uh, institutes that are offering credentials. I know that uh, Minister Sani is, is a bit concerned that there might be some bad actors in the field, so I know she's already started a consultation with them. So I will uh, make sure that I talk with her so that she adds this to the list. It's been a busy week here in the Metro Edmonton region, uh, including on Sunday, the Heritage Classic, the Battle of Alberta, the Calgary Flames, the Edmonton Oilers, I've just heard something. 
I can't believe it's true. If it's true, I heard that you were actually prohibited from attending, that the province's ethics commissioner said that you could not be there. Is that true? Oh, I have to tell you, um, you know, I want to be respectful of the position, but there are certain things that um, we have been told are, uh, that I cannot do. For instance, during the, uh, the stampede, I was told I could only be in the suites for 20 minutes at a time. When I receive ribbon skirts as a matter of protocol, it's been questioned whether I'm allowed to keep them. They're probably only valued at $40, but told I can't do dishes in my husband's restaurant, even though I'm volunteering to do that. So I just have to say that there, I think that there are some tweaks we may need so that we are able to go to that. I think the issue was whether, I mean, I, I don't want to go to a game and then only be able to stay in a, in a suite for 20 minutes, right? So, so I declined, but if we can address some of those issues, I think most people expect that as a matter of course, as premier or as a minister, you, you have to do some of these things because it's such a great celebration of everything we have in Alberta. Yeah. So I, we but have to I make get, some changes uh, to the rules. I, I get the no doing dishes thing uh, because when the premier of Alberta posts a photo doing dishes and the restaurant's up for sale at the same time and then people know that it's the premier's restaurant or the premier's spouse's restaurant, I, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe that's marketing. I don't know what it is, but I can understand the justification. Well, I can't understand the justification. I remember Jason Kenney, uh, was it the Grey Cup? Wasn't it the Grey Cup, Jason Kenney, wearing the I Love Canadian Oil and Gas hoodie when he did the, like, it doesn't make sense to me. I spoke personally with several government ministers at the Heritage Classic. I know they were there and the premier can't be there. I mean, I'm going to go so far as to say I heard the commissioner of the National Hockey League was pretty pissed off. Did you hear that? <laughs> well, he did call and ask me if I could go, and I just said I, I didn't think I'd be able to get ethics commissioner approval on that. But to the credit of Explore Edmonton, because I spoke with them yesterday, they did a lot of work with the ethics commissioner to mm. get a number of, of tickets that I think were at a hundred valued at $170 each, and so they were below the $200 limit. So a number of my colleagues were able to go. But you know what? I just uh, I'm, I'm trying. I want to stay within the rules, but sometimes if the rules um, haven't kept up with uh, where we find ourselves today. We, we, we may have to adjust them. Yeah, bit. I think you're tr trying to get a billion-dollar arena built down in Calgary, and the commissioner of the league's in, and the eyes of the hockey world are on the Metro Edmonton region. I'd suggest the premier should be there, but I digress. Let's get well, to business. I, all I would say is we have to solve this before the arena opens down south because I have been doing some lobbying that the very first game has to be Battle of Alberta. So yeah. if that's going to be in the 26-27 season, then I certainly want to be in the stands. Okay, I'm going to lead with insurance, except for I'm not, because I want to ask you if we're talking arena. Edmonton wants $300 million now. You're going to say uh, that the government of Alberta has not given any money to the arena, which technically is true, but the government's stepping up to fund a bunch of infrastructure improvements. And now Edmonton, that had no provincial money for its build, is going... What about us? Uh, they want $300 million. Where does that stand right now? Uh, I have had a conversation with the Oilers and let them know that we understand that there wasn't support in the same way that there was in Calgary for those infrastructure improvements. Now that uh, Boyle Street is moving into a different location, they are going to be able to do their, uh, their second phase two expansion. And there may be some infrastructure that needs to be done to be able to facilitate that. We want to be fair uh, because we know that being able to develop both of the, the, the marquee events districts in Calgary and Edmonton is vitally important to both cities. So we're having that conversation. We always make substantial uh, capital investments in both Calgary and Edmonton with every budget. And so uh, don't have any specifics about what the ask might be, but that would be something that we'd be open to doing. Of Does course. it make sense that you're having that conversation with the Edmonton Oilers and not the city of Edmonton? I mean, if it's infrastructure, shouldn't that money go to benefit the city of Edmonton and not, and not a privately owned team? Well, the city of Edmonton would be the ones who um, have to bear the infrastructure upgrade costs because it's all downtown. And so uh, I have raised it with Mayor Sohi as well, what kind of 
priorities they would have. And he always has a very long list as well. So I don't have any specifics about what it is that the team would need. Um, I, I had conversations with both in Calgary, for instance, uh, trying to understand what it is that the, the, the Flames needed to be able to get to the finish line, understanding what it is that the city needed to get to the finish line. So it's two parties there. And if they need some extra assistance, then we're on standby to be but able Edmonton to help. But Edmonton has a bit of leverage right now. I mean, to say, hey, what's up? I mean, like, is it tit for tat in your mind when it comes to stuff like this? You know what it is, is that um, you, you don't ever want a... Um, a region of the province to feel like they're being neglected because they didn't vote for your party. Uh, unlike the federal government, which seems to have no problem punishing Alberta because they didn't vote for enough liberals, I believe that I have to be premier for all Alberta. And that means that Edmonton is a vital economic center. It is the capital city. And we're going to support it as vigorously as we support uh, as, as we support Calgary and other municipalities. Okay, I'm going to ask you more about your relationship with Edmonton. Uh, we're going to talk about the Edmonton Chamber Luncheon last week in just a little bit. But the big story today, um, I'm a little choked at Rick Bell for, for getting it out in front of Albertans before we did. But, uh, but your government today is going to uh, roll out a plan, at least the first part of it, to address skyrocketing insurance premiums in Alberta. So basically, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, as of January 1st, your government's going to lift the pause on rate hikes. So, so you know, the, the headline might read rate hikes are back, but you're going to be saying through the Automobile Insurance Rate Board that so-called good drivers that qualify won't have their rates hiked up any higher than the rate of inflation. Is this all correct? This is the direction that we're going, yeah. we we There were only two options, right? One was that we extended the pause, which I think we understand that the industry is facing pressure. So that would have meant that for until we find a, um, a, a solution that is going to work in the long run, we felt like we needed to do something. And so we are lifting that pause, but we are making sure that good drivers are, are not being punished. Because that's what I keep hearing is that uh, somebody, uh, the number of, of people who came up to me and said, look, I'm a good driver. I have a clear record for 20 years. I've not been in accidents. I don't have, have tickets. Why has my insurance doubled? or tripled. And that's the expectation that people have is if you're a good driver, you're going to get rewarded. Your rates are going to stay about the same. So we're going to meet that expectation. And then we'll, we have to do more work to, to address some of the cost drivers. And that'll be done in the early part of the new year. We can't delay a decision any longer. We've got, we've got to look at other models that work and, and try to replicate them. When you say you can't delay, you just mean because people are struggling to pay their bills? Well, because it's not going to go away just by, it's not, something is, if we keep the system as it is, there's never going to be a point where we can just take the, the rate caps off and then things will go back to normal and prices will go down there's there's fundamental cost drivers in this system that are are, are escalating the cost the cost of repair of vehicles the uh, cost of uh, the injury suits all of these things are just continuing to go up so we've got to address something more holistic on that front do rate caps kill you like as a free market evangelist is just telling a company or companies what they can charge and to whom is that something that's just absolutely inherently against what you believe at your core yeah finance minister and i feel very similarly we the alberta market worked well for so long that it is painful to what see changed? that the, that the market's not working a couple of things i think one of the things is the the, the cost of uh, vehicle repair i experienced this myself i got rear-ended and the guy drove off but i thought okay well my insurance allows me to get a um, one claim without impacting my rates. I thought it's a fender bender. What's this going to cost? Last time I had one when I was a kid, it was 550 bucks. It was $9,000 mm-hmm. because they put all of the gear in there. They put all the cameras and they've got hidden damage. And I just thought if that is the most common accident and it's 
essentially half the cost of a vehicle. No wonder we see the escalation. So I've talked to the industry about what we're doing to see if, if the automakers are going to respond to that in some way. There has to be a way to engineer the, uh, the all of those extra features that isn't put in the place where you have the most likely accident. And then, of course, the, um, the insurance claims. I mean, we have seen other jurisdictions move to no fault so that they actually have a schedule that you get paid based on the type of injury that you have. And then there's a certain number of, um, of injuries that would go on to litigation. Uh, we have an, a number of lawyers in our caucus who are having a robust discussion about it. Is that the direction that we need to go? Um, so those, do we let other players come into this market? Like, Well, let me ask you this. Like, would you see uh, a world, I mean, Nate Horner, your finance minister, mm-hmm. has, has said basically that Alberta will leave no stone unturned in looking at jurisdictions that are doing different things with insurance. You can look west and east and immediately see two provincial crown corporations. Um, can you, I can see your face. <laughs> For the benefit of people on the podcast, uh, I, I don't know that I see Premier Danielle Smith establishing the Insurance Bureau of Alberta, but is that something? If... By leaving no stone unturned, that proves to be the best play for Albertans. Would you consider it? What if we allowed Saskatchewan Insurance to offer insurance in the Alberta market? What if we allowed BC Insurance to offer insurance in the Alberta market? What if they became a player in the Alberta market? And we are already a player as a, a, a as an, the Alberta government because we have a facility insurance. It's the insurance of last resort. Is there a way that we could expand that if we need to be a player? I mean, just because you play in a market doesn't mean you dominate the market. For instance, look at ATB. ATB doesn't have a monopoly on banking, but it is a player in the banking field. So it's not it's not um, the optimal solution. I, I believe in free enterprise, and I believe that uh, that markets should work, and I believe in private industry. But um, I I don't think it it precludes us from having a having more involvement in this in a market that that clearly isn't working. Speaking and, of. Uh skyrocketing rates uh nobody in canada has seen a bigger cost increase on electricity than albertans uh like 10 times uh the next closest province as you well know Uh, under the previous conservative premier jason kenney and his minister sonia savage uh scrapped uh years old plans um to move from an energy only to a capacity market based on i know that they had concerns from power producers from big investors how much responsibility for these skyrocketing rates does the ucp have to own well i would say that we thought the market was going to work because here's what we were the information we were getting at the time what what the energy only market uh, players told us is that we would have these periodic price spikes that would allow them to generate additional revenue that would go to paying off their capital costs which would allow them more money to invest in the market and it would work that way and i think we were persuaded by that but what has happened in the meantime is the price spikes occur and no one is building new natural gas plants, which is what we need for baseload. So I think that the that that promise is fundamentally broken down. That an energy only <clears throat> an energy only market is not getting us the long term baseload power that we need from natural gas, uh, and I don't think it will allow us to be able to bring on small modular nuclear either. And so we have to do something to be able to incentivize that. The capacity market was the idea that you give a, um, you you have some kind of a a payment agreement for those who can do dispatchable power. So they're there when you need it, so you're basically paying for reliability. I've been told that perhaps we're too small to have a market exactly like that. Maybe having a a long-term agreement where you cover the the portion of the cost and you, uh, you, you, you secure the price like we used to have when we had power purchase agreements in the past with coal. Maybe that's the option. But again, it doesn't give me great pleasure to also see that we have a 
a, a free market with private players that isn't that is that has failed, but it has failed. You can't have 32 cents a kilowatt hour in a regulated rate option and say that this op, this market's working. It's not working. A pretty interesting moment at a climate conference, and, and I'll play the clip for our audience Aww. after you leave because it's it's too long of a clip. We have limited time with you, but it's about a two minute exchange with you and an audience member. Um, and uh, the climate conference presented by the Pembina Institute. And this person, they're being described as a heckler. I don't know if it qualifies as heckling. You didn't seem offended by it. You, you, you seemed like you welcomed the interaction. Um, this is where you called Alberta's transition to a renewable-powered grid by 2035 fantasy thinking. Um, and we put it out to our audience members. If they wanted to ask you questions to sure. go ahead, we got a ton of them. This one's from Jake Kubiski, who's the CEO of Kubi Renewable Energy. He's one of our sponsors and uh, and he's a real innovator. He's actually on the uh, a, an Edmonton Business Award winner, a, a finalist for the Ernst Young Entrepreneur of the Year. The guy knows what he's doing. Uh, a lifetime oil and gas tradesman, an electrician that went and moved into renewables. He says, uh, Premier, your assertion suggests that the crux of the electricity grid warnings last year was due to an insufficient baseload from sources like natural gas rather than an excess of renewables like wind and solar. Instead of criticizing renewable energy's expansion, shouldn't the focus be shifted toward enhancing our baseload capacity? Doesn't this approach ensure both sustainability and grid stability without creating unnecessary friction between energy sources. Yes, I, I agree with them. And here's the problem that I have is that of the projects that are lining up to uh, to be uh, deployed in our province, it's virtually all solar and wind. So there's there's virtually no, no baseload natural gas. And I think part of that is because the uh, disincentives and the uncertainty that's been created around natural gas investment, how quickly do they have to be abated? Will they be allowed to have the full a 40-year lifespan. All of these things have been uh, have been ways in which the federal government has interfered in our market. And so I can't bring on more wind and solar without having that backup. That's one thing I wish that the, the solar and wind industry would recognize is the reason we've been able to expand wind and solar is because we can bring on natural gas peaker plants to offset when they don't work. I don't understand the hostility that wind and solar providers have towards natural gas. They should be embracing it as part of the option to make sure that they remain viable because now they're asking me to invest in in batteries and make the grid op- uh, the, you know make uh, c- consumers pay for that but unfortunately battery power is just not there yet that was the that was the extent of the exchange that I had because I did talk to a renewable producer he told me he was looking at what it would cost to build 200 megawatts of baseload um, uh, uh, he had a 200 megawatt plan you talked about like 24 to 36 billion dollars well needed to 200 megawatts of storage power it costs a, a million dollars for every megawatt so if you're trying to build battery backup for 12,000 megawatts on the system that is going to cost 12 billion dollars it's just not it's not achievable that's why I do believe I, I agree with that with that um, uh, with texture Jake, to yeah. you because I, I think we have to have both but right now we don't and that's why we have gonna, to he knew you were going to bring up batteries though yeah. and, and he says please let her know uh, if you don't already he said battery costs is plummeted by 90 percent from 2010 to 2023 enhancing economic viability for grid storage he says mm-hmm. various technologies beyond just lithium-ion offer potential for longer duration storage and large-scale projects like South Australia's Hornsdale Power Reserve already demonstrate batteries' capabilities in stabilizing grids during renewable lulls. Shouldn't Alberta, as a pioneer in innovation, explore similar solutions? Again, yes, because there is always a delay when you've got wind and solar that come on and then go off and you're trying to balance between the natural gas backup. Having an hour or two that allows to bridge that gap 
uh, that actually that makes a great deal of sense. And so Nathan Newdorf, my affordability and electricity minister, is moving in that direction. But we have to recognize the kind of market that we're in. The reason why British Columbia, Manitoba, Ontario, and Quebec are able to be almost a net zero on their grid is because they have robust hydroelectric and nuclear resources. We do not. We do not have the capacity to build four times uh, the size of Churchill Falls in order to, to be able to, to uh, replace natural gas. Our competitive advantage is natural gas. We, we want to be able to abate it to the best available technology. Right now, that's about 65%. I'm told we might be able to get as high as 80%. The federal government wants us to get to 95%. That's, again, also fantastical thinking. We, we can't ask people today to invest money in building a plant hoping that the technology is going to be available in 2035. We have to do best efforts. And that's what I'm trying to work with the federal government on. And that's why I hope people understand we need to have all sources of power on our grid if we're going to to be able to to meet the future demand. Yeah, I want to talk to you about the feds. This, the, the, the prime minister is being sort of widely panned across the prairie provinces for, for giving Atlantic Canadians. And I hesitate to even talk about it like this, but it is a fact. I mean, the Maritimes, the Atlantic Canadians, for the most part, are getting a break on heating oil. Um, and I don't have to tell you or this audience that Albertans and, and folks in Saskatchewan and other prairie provinces that largely use natural gas are not getting a break. Your colleague in Saskatchewan, Premier Scott Moe, whether he's rattling his saber or not, says that he's considering uh, not collecting the carbon tax. Um, how is this landing with you and what measures are you considering? What's been your message to the feds? I, I believe we should take Scott Moe seriously. I think he's going to do it. And remember, they've got a, a crown corporation. So what are the ramifications if they do do that? Well, talk about the unfairness of all of that. I, I think that it obviously the, the carbon tax regime that they put forward is up in smoke. I mean, you can't go to the Supreme Court and argue, we need to have the ability as the federal government to say, at the base price so that every single Canadian and every single province pays the exact same thing. And then you're playing favorites because you get more votes in Atlantic Canada than you do in Western Canada. It's so transparent. Nor can you say we have to have this tax in place so that we can get people moved away from the highest emitting fuels. Heating oil hits uh, it, it, it emits more CO2 than natural gas. So they've blown up the entire architecture and their entire argument for why it is they need a gas, a, 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 a central price. Um, because here's the point. If the actual truth is that you need to make flexible options on the basis of what the experience is in each province, well, then that sounds pretty much like it should be in provincial jurisdiction, doesn't it? And that was the argument that we made before. And I, I'm, I'm prepared to see if we can uh, put another reference case forward now that they've destroyed their own argument about why they need to have a federal carbon tax, about whether we should revisit that decision of 2021. You're talking about suing Ottawa. How serious are you about that? Well, we have a number of cases that we have to take forward. Uh, and we just won C-69, which I think puts this entire conversation into a different light. Because I, I think that there is, look, think about the federal government. I mean, the federal government had has always had a national fuel tax, but they don't charge a different rate of their fuel tax in British Columbia, Ontario, and Atlantic Canada. That's the reason why they're able to make the argument that, yeah, we should be allowed to do this. You can't have differential rates. It's just not fair. Everybody understands viscerally it's just not fair. So I think they, I don't think that they have a leg to stand on. They should just eliminate the tax on all home heating fuel, regardless of the province, regardless of the type. 
because we shouldn't be punishing consumers in a cold country like ours, where we have six months of the year where we need to turn our furnaces on, and most of us are using some kind of hydrocarbon-based fuel. That's that's just not right. Uh, to our audience, uh, for your benefit, if you didn't hear the strategists on our show on October 27th digging into their take on the prime minister, the federal government, giving Atlantic Canadians a break on heating oil, not the prairie provinces on natural gas. Be sure to check that out. That's our episode, our Real Talk Roundtable from October 27th. Hey, why doesn't the online survey on the Alberta Pension Plan give a very simple question, number one option, do you want this or not? Why not start there? Well, that's what the uh, the referendum question would be if we move to that. We're in the phase of trying to uh, tell people what the what the plan would look like and so the first stage was doing the life mark report and getting the the number getting a an actuary to do the analysis they did they said that by 2027 we'd be entitled to 334 billion dollars and if all of that went into savings for contributions it would reduce it by 1425 for each employee 1425 for each employer and if it went to increase benefits um it, it could be also substantial increase in benefits for our seniors so we wanted people to understand just how much alberta is entitled to what our overpayments have been what our contribution value would be so that we could start the conversation but some of the numbers are really specific and then some of them are really vague you know i appreciate your finance minister coming on the show but he goes we believe we're entitled to somewhere between this and this and it's a discrepancy of like a hundred billion dollars which is a really big deal i'm sure you saw jason markusoff's piece or i don't know if you read his stuff or not but he, he basically says that you know the app plan doesn't factor in buffers cushions or risks um, a lot of people feel like they're not getting the information they need to make an informed decision but they're trying to fill out this survey in good faith uh, let me put this in the words of a couple real talkers uh, manish says uh, why have you chosen premier to use government resources to present information from only one the most optimistic source uh, when it comes to how much alberta could take from the cpp why have you chosen to not include further information like opposition from other provinces the feds that dispute the rosy figures that Albertans are being bombarded with using our own tax dollars. Why not give Albertans all the information? Well, the researchers stand by their calculation. The The formula is in the CPP Act. And so we have asked uh, Krista Freeland to give us, if she, if she thinks that our number and our calculation is incorrect, to give us what she thinks is the correct calculation. Trevor Toome, you know, respect his work, but he's not an actuary. So he's given some, I think, estimate of what he thinks we're entitled to. That's that's not what um, what I need. What I need is an actual number. If we're going to be putting it to Albertans, about whether or not they want their own plan. We need to know what the actual number is. So we put it to, to Christian Freeland to give that to us. The finance ministers are meeting on Friday. We'll tell them that that is our intention as well. We need to know. If the act allows for a province to be able to leave, there has to be a pathway to leave. And they have to do this kind of work so that we can have a, an assessment of that. And if we get those numbers, then we'll be able to have a uh, have it put to the people before we would we would ever consider. Is going that a, a predetermined vote. outcome? Like, is this you no, kind of get no. the vibe? Um, I, I don't know if Minister gosh, Scow no. kind of had a bit of a slip up the other day or not from the podium, but basically made it sound like it is going to a referendum. No, we are putting forward legislation this fall that that confirms a couple of things. Number one, we would only um, pull out of the of the of the CPP if all of the assets were transferred to an APP, so it can't be used for anything else. Contributions would have to be lower or the same. Benefits would have to be higher or the same, and it would have to be put to a referendum. So that's all we're doing is we're put codifying in law that if there was any decision, 
it would have to go to a referendum and it would have to meet those three criteria. People like numbers. People like, you know, people like like 50 percent plus one or or two thirds or something like that. How strong does the mandate have to be? How strong does the feedback have to be from Albertans? What what tangible number can you give us to understand what would shape your decision on whether or not to spend I don't know, 30, 40, 50 million dollars on a referendum on this. Well, I guess we'd have to, I, you know, I, I do want to get all of the input from all sources. So I think we've had 70,000 people so far participate in our survey. Uh, we're doing polling. We have the consultations that Jim Dinning is doing. He's done uh, th- two already. He's got three more to go. I think he's getting ten to 12,000 people on each of those calls. We're getting uh, emails and texts into our MLA offices. So with all of that information, we'll be able to get a sense of whether or not Albertans want us to shelve it or whether they want to go forward and have a vote on it. Are you a fan of Margaret Thatcher? I am. Okay, Norm says, when I was a young fellow, I heard the Iron Lady say that ruling by referendum was the tool of dictators and demigods. He says, I never thought much about it then, but Premier Smith has has prompted my memory of this quote. The government controls the narrative, controls the question, and ultimately will only go ahead if they feel like they can control the answer. He says, with an issue this important, there needs to be an election. I suspect you're not going to trigger an election. He <laughs> says, but let her campaign on this issue because it didn't come up during the campaign. You oh, told, it came up a lot. But you told people that you were going to touch their pensions. No, I told them I was going to release the report. And if we went to, um, if, it was, if there was a decision on it at all, it would be by a referendum, which is what the original panel asked us to do. They asked, this is the thing. We did a consultation with a fair deal panel. 350,000 people participated in that. And the advice was do the work, find out what it would look like to have our own pension plan but if you make any changes put it to the people it's got to be the people who decide so i'm just following the uh the direction that albertans gave us in our the original mandate norm says if premier thinks this is such a good idea let her risk something on it if i was going to reply to norm personally i would say she's risking a lot on it Um, i'm sure it's not lost on you like political success political survival something like this this is about as high profile as it gets that's not lost on you, I'm sure. This is why it does need to be put to a referendum. And look, we have the ha- we have a history of this. Rachel Notley put the issue of the Olympics to a referendum in Calgary because it wasn't clear whether Calgarians wanted it or not. And ultimately, they rejected it. And uh, and they stood by the, the will of the people. So referendum is a tool that is not partisan, but it is sometimes when you've got these really difficult issues that you want to make sure that they're fully vetted, that you've got people doing the full public debate. The best way to do it is to go to a referendum. So I disagree with Norm. I was at the Premier's State of the Province address presented by the Edmonton Chamber last week. Great event. Very well attended. Uh, Everybody there was curious to see how a certain dynamic would play out. Uh, as the chamber's brand new, I can't stop laughing. Uh, I just that you could the, the the discomfort was just palpable in the room. Uh, the chamber's brand new president and CEO Doug Griffiths, who had been in the role for ten days at that time, a former PC cabinet minister who on this show endorsed the NDP during the election campaign, was there to host the event and interview you. And I thought that both of you navigated it with class. Uh, navigated it really well. You didn't even spend a lot of time on it. You didn't even crack a joke about it. Tell me about that. Well, if I crack a joke now, then I did tell him. We did have a chance to meet beforehand. And I said to him, well, I hope next time I'll be able to convince you to vote for me. So it was a bit of a laugh. And this is this is just it. Chamber presidents have to be uh, open and friendly with all parties because you never know who's going to be government in the future. And so the chamber is such an important 
vehicle for policy development, such a connect, great connection to the business community. They put on amazing events. I think I've, I've spoken to them three times now that I'm not going to let any um, minor issues that might have occurred a few months ago impact my relationship with uh, the chamber or with or with its new its new president. I thought it was and I'll clarify, he wasn't chamber president when he made the comments, but but I thought it was a good bridge building opportunity for both of you. I've got two minutes left with you and a ton of questions. So let's go quick. You recently spoke at an event. I think it was for Build Alberta. Hmm. And you mused, this is second-hand information to me, I didn't hear it, but you mused about fast-tracking trades workers from grade 10 into the trades, into vocational schools. Is that accurate? Are you seriously thinking about that? I was. Uh, I met with a, a woman who was a homeschool mom who came from the UK. She said they have two credentials in the UK, A-levels and O-levels. And she put this, the, the, the idea to me, why don't we have the ability to get a grade 10 certificate so that those kids could go right into a community college program? And I thought, hmm, we should look into whether or not we can do that. So I've asked Demetrios Nicolaides to have it. Do you worry look. about the optics of that? Do you worry about the development of young people? Do you worry about Alberta's reputation? I worry about young people who are not going to go on to university, sitting in a classroom being made to feel like they're just not up to it because they don't have the academics to be able to finish grade 11 and grade 12. And then they sit in despair and not know what their direction is for 10 years until they find a trades program. The average age of somebody entering the trades program is 27. Why can't we get those kids that connected to what they're meant to do in life at age 17? And I think we should be very proud of our trades. I think we should we should have a parity of esteem and we should make sure that everyone knows that those, those jobs have great careers, great professions and that we should uh, celebrate every single one of them um changes coming that have kind of underreported to be honest and i know we don't have a ton of time but, but, but changes to nurse practitioners to i know that it's kind of like a public private delivery can, can you get into this a little bit and how you expect it to address some of the crunch in alberta's healthcare system and i also want to ask i know you're not afraid of controversy and you're not afraid of blowing things up uh what's your plan for alberta's health delivery, including entertaining some private options? Well, one I, I, thing I would say is I signed a $24 billion healthcare deal with the federal government saying that we would abide the principles of the Canada Health Act. That means no one pays out of pocket for family doctor or to receive surgical services. That's what the Canada Health Act says. The, um, but we also believe that everyone needs to have a family practitioner, whether that's a doctor or a nurse practitioner. Nurse practitioners are trained down the same path as a family doctor with a couple of things that are a bit different. So we're going to allow for them to set up their own clinical practice and bill the province the same way doctors do. So we're just working that out. And then when it comes to changes to the healthcare system, we, we've all, you've already begun to see part of that with the announcement on primary care and indigenous health. There's th certain things that have been in AHS that actually are department functions. So we've now created an indigenous health function within Alberta Health, the department reporting directly to Adriana Lagrange, and a primary care team that is reporting directly to, to uh, Adriana Lagrange as well. Because primary care practitioners, that's the job of the minister to make sure that that, uh, that, that that everybody has a family doctor, not AHS. So we're going to be focusing AHS on its core business which is running hospital services and doing an excellent job of it. And that's what uh, you'll be seeing in the, in the coming weeks. Fair to expect significant changes there? Yes. Um, finally, uh, people's memories are short, so I will, I will remind them who Jennifer Johnson is, the Lacombe uh, Pinoca MLA, who despite the fact that horrendous comments uh, surfaced regarding LGBTQ kids during the campaign, she won in a landslide. Um, but she's not a member of your caucus, per your decision. Uh, what is uh, MLA Johnson's status? Uh, I know it's out of caucus right now, uh, but when is that reviewed and what will you be considering? Well, she, as you saw, she's sitting as an independent, and I have said she's got a lot of work to do to build bridges with the LGBT community, and so um, she's working on that. 
Yeah, but at the, at the moment, there's... Are you in contact with her team or her? Is there a timeline? She's in the legislature. Obviously, we, we have niceties, just uh, as you do with any MLA. I even gave uh, Halloween candy to the opposition members yesterday when we were doing our final vote. So, what did you give them? Uh, they uh, they all chose. Like, they had oh. a choice between the sour candies or the or the chocolates. So I won't... You paid for it out of pocket so as to not trigger the ethics commissioner, I suspect? <laughs> Anything less than $200 yeah. is, oh, yeah. le- is legit. Good but... stuff. Hey, Premier, uh, we took you a little over time. Thanks for doing this. We always appreciate your availability. We'll do it again. That's Alberta's Premier Danielle Smith right here in the Real Talk studio. Let us know what you think about what you just heard. Talk at ryanjesperson.com or if you're joining us right now live tuning on YouTube, we'll see in the chat in just a quick second. This episode is presented with the support of sponsors like our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy who want to remind you that you can get a free solar quote 24 hours a day at kubienergy.ca. You can also give them a call at 1-833-999-KUBI. You can also check out some of the work that they're doing. Again, kubienergy.ca. Check out their pro projects you can see they're doing work in residential areas uh, bc alberta saskatchewan northwest territories which also means that they're hiring installers in western canada as well nice clean installs as people are pursuing their renewable energy goals but kubi's also doing work in commercial areas industrial installations agricultural installations as a matter of fact they can do work on farms through the winter because a lot of it is on the ground right their teams aren't up on the rooftops and then of course comes spring if you want to have solar panels up on your roof uh, the winter and we're not there yet i know but it's a great time to get in touch with them they got to get the design underway they got to figure out what's going to look best on your roof and what's going to be giving you the power that you need Get that free quote today, kubienergy.ca. Our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you it's a big day today. It's the 1st of November. That's when you're listening to this episode. It means that there's 15% off all grocery purchases of $75 or more. 15% off at all 16 Friesen Brothers. That's the first of every month. Friesen Brothers, of course, is proudly Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned. Are you considering a change in career? Are you considering learning a little bit more about an area or a field that has, well, captured your attention and you're wondering if maybe, just maybe, the job market boom in some of those industries might translate into a new opportunity for you? You're going to want to visit Athabasca University online right now at AthabascaU.ca. You can learn more about how AU works, learn more about their programs and courses, and the admissions process, too. You can also read some stories about current students, which is great, and more about Canada's Open University. You know, tens of thousands of people trust Athabasca University because it offers flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle and calling those of you calling the disorganized uh, those of you like me who sometimes find yourself with piles everywhere clutter is a bit of an issue for you you need a tool you need the infrastructure to get organized california closets to the rescue you can check out their work online at californiaclosets.ca whether it's a bedroom maybe a walk-in closet you've been dreaming of maybe the kids need a better closet workspaces living areas garage installations california closets does it all their team are experts in working with what you need to see in your install and what your budget looks like you can visit california closets online request a free consultation they'll take you through that process to ensure that your family gets exactly exactly what it needs 
Want to thank those of you that uh, took the time to submit questions and that didn't hear your questions read. Obviously, uh, limited time with the Premier. She did stay over time. We were working with her team on the fly, and uh, she uh, stayed for an additional 10 minutes. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. I think just that insurance initiative alone today people go well what are good drivers how do you how do you ensure that your insurance rates will not go up any more than the rate of inflation which is just under four percent right now that's the number they'll be using well a good driver johnny i don't know if if either of us qualify for this you have to have had only one at fault accident in the last six years and only one minor traffic infraction in the last three so i know Ooh, I'm, I'm out i'm i'm automatically disqualified <laughs> yeah. although photo radar doesn't count so we might get off the hook there but for no, a lot of I've, people this I've, is, I've had a couple fender benders yeah so. a couple fender benders so it's you, always like that though you if you've had more than one and i immediately just scroll down i know yeah you just you just kind of look on but for a lot of people and and, and people have have let us know on mass and some people have as i mentioned on a previous show even sent us like pdf basically photocopies of of their premiums and said look at this in mm-hmm. some cases rates are up 300 percent rates are up 400 percent for Mm -hmm. some people Uh, and it's just got to a point where people can't afford to live anymore yeah it's really bad i will say and i always give this caveat is it's weird because i do pay higher i think i pay pretty high for my insurance but it did go down when i just renewed in october about ten dollars i don't know why maybe it's because i i haven't been getting you know, I, I didn't get any tickets that were actually like pulled over by the police and I, I haven't had that many accidents. So I will say that, but it is definitely I can I can think back, you know, five, ten years ago how much I was paying. It's drastically different. I actually saw a good TikTok the other day of someone who found a Calgary based real estate uh, flyer from ten years ago. And it was amazing to see the cost of homes compared to now. Oh, and probably the interest rates, it, it, too. It was like three-bedroom home for a two eighty nine, three ten. It was like ridiculous. At, at prime, yeah. prime minus yeah. 0.5 yeah. You know, interest rates. There's yeah. a lot of people that are holding. I was talking to a friend just yesterday. He's moving. He's trying to sell his condo, which mm-hmm. he owns. He's moving into a rental, uh, and he's just waiting for interest rates to drop before he buys again. So there's a lot of people keeping a keen eye on those yeah. numbers. Um, I want to give a shout-out to, to some of you that took t- time to send us really great feedback really great questions for the premier didn't have a chance to get to them all but i want to read some of these you know linda wrote in about what she describes as the tax freeze stunt uh this is the taxpayer protection amendment act this was bill one this was basically put in front of the legislature the five seconds after the throne speech this is where the alberta government we talked about this uh just yesterday the alberta government is is saying that uh if a premier if a government wants to raise taxes personal or corporate taxes moving forward they're going to have to go to a referendum. They're going to have to ask the people. Now, there are other ways that they can glean revenue, but folks have wondered if uh, Danielle Smith, if the UCP government, if governments in future will have their feet nailed to the floor a little bit. And, and Linda says, I just really feel like this is another stunt that the premier's not given enough consideration to. Uh, she says the only government that this legislation hogties uh, is a conservative government, current or future. The optics of a conservative government reverse or scrapping this asinine legislation would lead to certain defeat. And she's right. Like, Linda's absolutely 100% right. What conservative premier is going to go to the people and say, we need to raise your taxes, uh, but we need you to say yes first, so we're going to a referendum, right? And oftentimes, referendums are paired with elections, right? They want it all on the same ballot. It's more cost-effective for one. You also guarantee better voter turnout, 
you could argue that it's better for everybody if it happens that way for those two reasons, right? If there's a referendum on something and people aren't also voting in an election, then the only people that show up to vote on the referendum are people that care about the subject of that referendum. It begs the question what a referendum on the APP might look like. I bet that's not lost on the premier. If people feel very strongly against the idea of an APP, they're more likely to turn out, right? They're more likely to show up than people that think, eh, it might be a good idea. People that are confident it's going to pass. People that, eh, something pops up and they don't make it to the ballot box, Mm -hmm. right? And so she goes on to say, Linda, on the other hand, opposition could justify repealing this act a million ways from Sunday. And many ways would be palatable to a majority of Albertans if they elect an NDP or other left-leaning government. I don't think that's happening, but I wouldn't rule out the NDP. I just look at other parties right now, and I just don't feel like that's in Alberta's future for at least the next 10 years. That's me talking, not Linda. She says, I suspect that the premier thinks she's going to get around this revenue problem uh, through a myriad of user fees and other taxes like commodity taxes. You know, conservatives have steadily increased the government's take on gambling revenue, uh, and they're sure as hell pushing gambling now. She's not wrong. She says, I don't know of any platform where they're not advertising. They've now got like loyalty cards, which entitle cardholders, gamblers, to perks like discounted meals, special contents, uh, contests. She says there's all sorts of places where a government could stick it to Albertans through user fees. And technically, that's not raising taxes. But dollars to donuts would disproportionately be on the backs of those least able to afford it. Says they could make budget cuts or more surreptitiously cut funding for programs or stop funding programs completely. Linda's bang on. She says the bill that Smith should present is one that codifies any public or mixed public-private or mixed public-private nonprofit sector that becomes privatized. She said any resulting private sector body should not be eligible for any public funding at any time for any reason. They could call it the no more public bailout bill. I feel like Linda might have worked in government at some point. <laughs> I will say this. It would be, you got to be quite the politician, quite the leader, quite the party. For my next trick, I'm going to make you vote to raise your own taxes. Like, I would be so surprised. And also, I'd have to give some respect to whoever could get that done. If you had to do it, and we've seen political leaders do it before. You remember Justin Trudeau early in his tenure as prime minister. Can you hear it? When I say the words, can you hear it in his voice? He's saying, we're going to ask the highest earning Canadians to, to pay, pay a little more. just a little bit more. <laughs> you remember, and you always talk about how you barely watch politics, yeah. and you remember it because he looked into the cameras, he looked into people's eyes, he said, we're going to ask you to pay a little bit more. And to someone like me, who probably isn't in that bracket, let's be honest, I was still thinking, if I was in this bracket, this is... <laughs> This is not something you want to read in the paper or see on the news when you're having coffee. But in we've the talked a lot about how, I mean, you know, stuff. I already pay stuff, more. You want me to pay more? Stuff we didn't get to with the Premier that we will get to with other ministers or with the Premier in future or other guests and experts that come on our show. Uh, we've got an Alberta Municipalities feature interview coming up on November 7th. Mm. I believe that's Tuesday of next week, but it's November 7th. And we'll talk to them about this, about sustainability, you know, funding for municipalities. Uh, the premier on the campaign trail talked about an openness uh, to allowing cities to keep. Like currently cities through property, they collect property taxes mm-hmm. and then they collect for education and then they transfer that to the province. So they collect for the province, and then transfer it, much like provinces collect taxes for the feds. Mm -hmm. So Daniel Smith has 
mused about allowing municipalities to simply keep that portion of property taxes that they're collecting and to help them. You know, there are some municipalities right now that are looking at insolvency, like that are basically looking at bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. And if that happens, then that lands in the lap of the province. And so it becomes the province's problem. So you know that there has to be an openness to that. So so that's that's one idea. But but another one, and I know that everybody calls this the third rail in Alberta politics. Everybody calls this, uh, you know, I don't prefer to refer to it as this, but political suicide for any Alberta politician is talking about a sales tax. Mm-hmm. But a sales tax, you know, Albertans, some Albertans inherently opposed to it, inherently against it. But we could be talking about 1%. Yeah. We could be talking about 2%. Anything is money. And that could be something that allows or that preserves, like just like Linda's email alludes to, if you say, listen, we're going to have to, you know, based on our budget reality, and that's maybe not Alberta right now, because we're back up high on the hog. Right, our memories old, are short. We remember a few years ago, Alberta was screwed again, yeah. and then and then everybody started putting on those bumper stickers. Right, dear Lord, please give us one more boom, and I promise not <laughs> to piss this one away. And then what happened? The dear Lord gave us another boom, and what are we doing? We're pissing it away. So the government may have to go back to Albertans at some point and say, "We're back where we were. Mm-hmm. We didn't learn our lesson. We're looking at some of these hard budget realities, or." implementing a sales tax well if the government does this under this bill one then they've got to go to a referendum which a lot of people have been saying for a lot of years is the way that you roll out a sales tax in alberta anyway yeah you go to referendum on it ask people and i i think the majority we're the only province without it i don't think if we needed money especially if we need it for things that we need i don't see like you're saying one percent i mean come on Hey, let's get to, we promised, and we're going to roll a I bit got the of video audio ready, here. Yeah, so the this heckler. is the one at the, yeah, and, and I don't know if this person deserves to be referred disturber, to as a, a heck, a kind of a disturber. There was a bit of an outburst at this climate conference presented by Pembina, but the, the person's not raving. They're, no. they're, they're not some sort of lunatic. They're making good points. Now you, you have to strain to hear them a little bit, but you'll hear the premier from the podium. It's about a minute and a half. Here's what went down last week. Does anyone think that would be possible to get that built in 12 years starting now? I mean, you talked about, you go ahead, you go ahead and talk to Jonathan Wilkinson then, because I can tell you, I can tell you Site C began in 1954. Site C began in 1954. Fine. Do you think I can get, do you think I can get uh, an equivalent amount of nuclear rolled out in 12 years? Do you think I could do that in in an environment that we've never had nuclear before? I I don't want to interrupt the two of you. Do you, do you but what 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 do I, you I know, know? And I, I get and I what do you know that my industry experts don't know about about? Yeah. Well, let's, you know, and what do I do when there's no sun and there's no wind? Batteries. Let's talk about batteries Danielle, because I've talked to somebody. I want to I want to talk about batteries for a minute because I know that everybody thinks that this economy is going to be operated on wind and solar and battery power, and it cannot. There is no industrialized economy in the world operating that way because they need. Load. And I'll tell you what I know about batteries because I talked to somebody who was thinking of investing in it on a 200 megawatt plant. One million dollars to be able to get each megawatt stored. That's 200 million dollars for his plant alone and he would get one hour of storage. 
So if you want me to have 12,000 megawatts of storage, that's $12 billion for one hour of storage, $24 billion for two hours of storage, $36 billion for three hours of storage, and there are long stretches in winter where we can go weeks without wind or solar. That is the reason why we need legitimate, real solutions that rely on baseload power rather than fantasy thinking. And I am not going to engage in fantasy thinking and say something is possible when I know that my principal job... I, I think we need to stop. My principal I, job is yeah. to have a reliable yeah. energy grid. That's what I'm trying to do. First of all, Woo! I don't like to dump on other people's hosting jobs, but who is that moderator? Stop. T- let get them go. Of, <laughs> get out of the way. What are you doing? And even she, she just keeps talking well, over him like, should. no, let's like, do no, this. Who let's are you? <laughs> No offense, I don't even know who it is. Maybe it's I don't even know who that is. But shut up. Your job, your job title is moderator, and you're not doing it. You're well. not. And he's like Danielle. I mean, premier. I mean, every we need to stop. No, you don't. This is the best thing that's happened at this conference. This is the moment. The only clip online. This is the only clip that anybody's going to post from your conference. Get out of the way. I just needed to say that. Yeah. I feel better now. But premier put the question to the audience. Does anybody think that this is a good idea? Does anybody think this is doable? So the guy answered the question. Why, yes, I do. Then she engaged him. Good on her. Good on him. I thought that that was great. And it leads to an actual conversation where hopefully something that that guy said or the letter from Jake Kubisky, CEO of Kubi Energy, straight to her face, resonates with her. And hopefully Albertans get more of a sense of what she's thinking and what's forming or shaping her decisions. Right. Another thing we didn't get around to asking her about today is where are we at with that wind and solar moratorium? We're about mm-hmm. three months into that right now. You know, the biggest construction players, like we're talking the multi-billion dollar big construction giants like PCL and Melcor. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are the ones that are these are the ones that are getting screwed by this moratorium. It's yeah. not the little guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be curious to know where that is, and we'll ask her that in future. There was also a talk uh, on crime, and in case you missed our episode on October 31st, yesterday, talking about the throne speech. We kind of go through it. We dig through it. Talk about the key moments. You can find that episode wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. I want to pull this. This is Lieutenant Governor Samalakani reading the throne speech and talking specifically about crime. And it prompted an email from Carolyn that I want to get to. It's 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 kind of more of a flamethrower uh, presented by the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. We could have used it on Friday's show. <laughs> Carolyn busts out her flamethrower here. But I think it fits for this show as well. But why don't we remind you, this is... How the government, uh, through the lieutenant governor, uh, told us that they're intending to deal with crime, in particular in urban centers. Albertans are done with allowing further deterioration of public safety on our streets, especially in Edmonton and Calgary. They are done with open-air drug use and unsafe tent cities and criminals being repeatedly released on bail to reoffend. Albertans are tired of the excuses and tolerance for the criminal behavior by those who seem to think that what we see on our streets is acceptable in any way. That is why Alberta's government will provide funding to support the hiring of hundreds of new police officers and introduce multiple justice system reforms to do all that is possible as a province to arrest 
and put criminals behind bars. I don't think I've ever heard someone talk so calmly about... I could have her on a sleep app. And she's like... She's she's talking about, you know, we're going into another recession. Mm. Everyone is going to be dirt poor. Well, that's like the lieutenant governor... so calming. I think we're going to be fine. The lieutenant governor cannot infuse editorial emotion delivery into reading the throne speech the speech from the throne right so you Mm -hmm. so you've got her you know by those who seem to think that this is okay and it's like you can hear (laughs) danielle smith reading those words right you could hear mike ellis the deputy premier reading those words It, it prompted this from carolyn um earmuffs kids ryan what the fuck are 300 new police officers going to do to get rid of tent cities? Billet the residents? Like, seriously, I can't find the logic that links an increase in police to an increase in affordable housing. And I'm sick to death of conservatives vilifying the less fortunate. Guess what? I wouldn't have to steal bread if I could afford it, says Carolyn. I don't know one person that would choose being houseless over being rich. That from Carolyn. I appreciate that comment. And by the way, Linda's watching us live on YouTube. Remember Linda who said that you could roll out the no more public bailout bill? Uh, She says, in fact, she has not worked for government. I would suggest that with writing Hmm. skills like this, she could. Nicely done, Linda. We're going to get to more of your comments on this in just a quick second. But it is Wednesday, which means that we have an opportunity to head out to the mountains, at least mentally, to check out from all the news headlines just for a quick second and to make to my jasper memories this is courtesy of our friends at tourism jasper and because it's november 1st today can you believe it we want to let you know about some of the amazing things that are happening in jasper national park through the month of november right some say that it's the dreariest of all the months i know some people think that february owns that title i disagree we want to remind you about the top five things that you can do in jasper this month starting on the arts and culture scene. When the weather is changeable, it is the perfect time for you to lean into some cultural experiences. The Jasper Yellowhead Museum and Archives has a wide and fascinating introduction to the region. Meantime, anybody interested in learning more about indigenous culture should experience the fireside chat with warrior women. It's incredible. There's also a chance to shop for deals. Black Friday gets a lot of buzz this month, but keep your eyes peeled for Moonlight Madness deals around that same time. Whether you're looking for the perfect souvenir or you just want to pick up an item you forgot to pack jasper's various retailers will help you find exactly what you need Uh, they stock everything from rugged guard a fit for backcountry adventures to fashionable rocky mountain attire top of the line ski gear you can get ready to venture out in style It's also, of course, the self-proclaimed cabin capital of Canada. Jasper, as you know, and there's a ton of cabins to rent, but most of them, well, they're not open through the winter. Four properties, though, offer you a really neat experience. That's Bear Hill Lodge, Pocahontas Cabins, Overlander Mountain Lodge, and, of course, the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge. They pair heritage, aesthetic, and cozy luxury year-round accommodations. You can book now for the winter season by checking out jasper.travel. Our friends at Marmot Basin want to let you know that it's time for skiers and snowboarders to rejoice because their reopening for the season is scheduled for a week from tomorrow. That's November 9th. I can't wait to get out there. If you want to save all season long, 
We recommend the Escape card. That knocks off 50% from any regular price adult, senior, student, or youth lift ticket every day, all season, with no blackout dates. That's huge. Marmot Basin is now also included in the Mountain Collective Pass, which includes ski days at some of the best resorts around the world. And you can check out Marmot Basin online as well. We'll have them in the show notes. And finally, every November 11th, as Remembrance Day approaches, the community of Jasper gathers in the rest of the country, of course, as well, remembering the sacrifices made by Canadian veterans in service to their country. This year, our small mountain town of Jasper is expanding that special period of remembrance for the first two weeks of November. From tomorrow, the 2nd through to the 12th, Jasper is inviting veterans, their families, and everybody else to participate in the Veterans Appreciation Event uh, to show support for our military veterans. VetFest will include events, activities, and dining throughout town with a ton of deals and discounts. You can go to jaspervetfest.com. Every Wednesday, right here on Real Talk, My Jasper Memories is proudly presented by Tourism Jasper. Scott's in our live chat says the Pembina Institute, that's who hosted that climate conference, says they were holding weekly lectures uh, back like, uh, I guess, almost about 20 years ago. Hey, Scott, he says back around 04, um, we were studying the sustainability Mm -hmm. of Fort McMurray. And he says, I remember a guy saying environmentalist or nuts. Um, Isn't it strange how that word that's like one of the most polarizing words where somebody will say, oh, that guy's an environmentalist or this group of environmentalists. And what do you think of when you hear somebody say that? I sort of look at it. It's, 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 it's almost torqued in the same way as the word feminist has been in past, right? Oh, feminist. And you kind of go at this point, if you're not an environmentalist or a feminist, what are you even doing, right? Like if you don't care about the water that you drink and the air you breathe yeah. and the future of the planet that is integral to your survival. Well, I do, but I just want to get it while the getting's good. <laughs> I and I want to get it real good while I'm here. I'm not even having kids, so it doesn't even matter. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Akhat says, so what's the plan here? We're just going to, you know, tent cities, everybody outside. They're just going to start throwing everybody in jail is... Is that exactly what we're talking about here? Tara Lynn says this Albertan is tired of homelessness being acceptable, uh, which is fair. Ben, meantime, says, <laughs> bless you, Ben, after watching the clip of Lieutenant Governor, who is this lady and what's with her medals? Um, yeah, that's the that's the, the king's rep. I still catch myself. It's the king. It's the king's representative uh, to Alberta in many ways as the governor general is the king's representative to the, uh, you know, to, to the federal government, to Canada. Um, so it's great to hear from, from, you know, everything that, that you're sending us. I suspect that we're going to have, uh, a, a, an influx of feedback coming up for the flamethrower on Friday. Now, as you, as you know, for anybody that hasn't heard, that's not up to speed. We brought you trash talk for coming up almost three years now. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, they want to take this over and uh, we absolutely love it. This was their pitch. We don't even get to take credit. They said, what do you think about the flamethrower? And we said, I think that that's just about the most brilliant pitch we've ever seen. Incredible. And so this is the new trash talk. It's the flamethrower presented by our friends at the Dairy Queens and Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Same deal. You send us your rant to talk at ryanjesperson.com and, and have your say every Friday 
uh, right here on the show. Kimberly says, when you're talking about user fees and ways that governments can, can glean revenue, she says, when I moved from Vancouver to Calgary with an 11-year-old under the Ralph Klein government, she says, my taxes were lower, but I was drowning in user fees that from Kimberly that's that's a, a real that we'd call it anecdotal but that's a real life example Kimberly and, and thanks for sharing that with us uh, for a lot of people did you know this that you know the Alberta is calling campaign this is that that campaign it started under Jason Kenney and they're marketing to the rest of Canada mm. basically come live here come work here come raise your family here Alberta is calling right real estate's cheaper sure and it doesn't feel that way for everybody but it is compared to toronto or vancouver anyway and making everyone come here is only gonna make it go up make but. it go up <laughs> and, and you're right johnny and we've we talked about this population forecast alberta by 2050 is forecasted to double in size uh, not, not in size in 10 population million. we're taking over northwest territories we're doubling <laughs> in size no but but to 10 million people yeah so proponents of the Alberta is calling campaign have been asking municipalities to give a bit of a free ride. And I'm twerking my language. Maybe, mm. you know, let me acknowledge that. But a bit of a free ride for new Albertans. And so if you move here from Montreal or Halifax or Kamloops, mm -hmm. they want public transit to be free for a year. They want rec centers to be free for a year. They want all city services to be free for a year. And the municipalities have basically said no, because we can't <laughs> afford it. Because well, we yeah. can't run deficits and because we're drowning right now. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of an interesting acknowledgement, though, that the, that the province notes they know for a fact that it's more appealing to have fewer user fees. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they want that to be a feather in the cap of the Alberta's calling campaign. But municipalities, quite frankly, can't afford it. And I don't think they need to. Right. Like I was trying to buy a house in Vancouver. But it was $3.5 million. The same house was 750000 in Edmonton. So I was going to move to Edmonton, but then I figured out I'd have to pay to ride the LRT. So I decided not to go. Like, really? It's not happening. It's a non-issue, Ryan. It's, it's a non-issue, non John. So you can let us know what your solution might be. If you're one of the real talkers that rode in, that didn't hear your email read, we wouldn't rule out having that heard on the flamethrower. Some of them were a little too pointed. <laughs> let me say a little too aggressive uh, to read straight to the premier's face, but that doesn't mean that we won't read them in proper context coming up on Friday. What about free Oilers tickets if they have a horrible season, which they're on this year? Free season tickets for a year yeah. if you move to Edmonton. Yeah, the, th the thing is, <laughs> they're still selling over all a million. tickets. Yeah, the thing is, you know what might happen? Maybe this is good news for people. I don't know. We talked a bit about free market today. If the Oilers and Flames continue to suck... <laughs> And I, don't, I mean, gosh, the Oilers won the Heritage Classic. Maybe you should give them some credit, but they better have won the Heritage Classic against those. But then the Flames should have as well. We're both, we're, we're right neck and neck. The one benefit the I can see is that the secondary ticket market, uh, ah, which is yes. nothing but a gouge machine. Yeah. Uh, I feel horrible. And this includes our family. We don't have season tickets. So when I go to take my son, we use the secondary market and it's bonkers it's horrible but the market will decide the market will set those rates and if these mm -hmm. teams continue to suck i hope they don't but the one silver lining will be that people will pay less to take kids to games yeah exactly you're seeing less and less families there and more and more people who can afford it but those apps are great like you could see you know here's a pair of tickets 350 oh, you see man. the same I pair mean, of tickets for like 1100 it's there's no yeah there's yeah. no 
rules. Yeah, exactly. This episode, uh, before we let you know who's going to be on tomorrow's show, and you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, we've been trying to get this interview for a few weeks. Uh, but I want to let you know that this episode is happening with the support of our friends at Eden Landscaping. Uh, we revealed our brand new backyard just a couple of days ago. And, and then there's going to be another reveal in spring, right? So if you check out our Instagram, you'll be able to see it. Uh, Johnny, let me call this up here. Come back to me on screen. We'll do this sort of behind the scenes. So I, I know that I'm, I think I'm going to owe my wife like some sort of royalty or something because I've been using her Instagram <laughs> for basically everything in the last two weeks. But but here it is. If you go to Instagram and, and check out Carrie Skelton, and you can see our backyard reveal, okay? So our yard looks so loud. I almost didn't want to show you guys this. This is how our yard looks so bad. If you're listening on the... And then now... Amazing. Look at that reinvention. Uh, and it's going to look even better in spring when those hydrangeas and the and the uh, the Japanese lilacs are in full bloom. This was our vision brought to life, including some problem solving, in particular on drainage uh, from the team by Eden Landscaping. Amazing to watch them navigate those challenges and deliver right on budget, which we really appreciate. You can check out Eden Landscaping online. Get the conversation started today so you've got shovels in ground this spring. You'll find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Also, a big shout out to the team that we worked with to build this studio. That's Complete Care Restoration. If you have a construction project, a renovation project, it can be something relatively small. Maybe you're going to redo a bathroom. Maybe you're going to build a new bathroom in the basement. Heck, maybe you're going to do the whole basement. Now, they've got a team of specialists that are particularly trained to help people get back on their feet from fire damage, flood damage, mold, and asbestos. But they've also got a team that is strictly committed to construction and renovation. Those are the guys that we were working with here on our studio. And Johnny and I have seen their professionalism firsthand. We absolutely, with two thumbs up, recommend that if you're considering a construction or renovation project, could be maybe an office conversion as well, Complete Care Restoration needs to be your number one call at 780-454-0776 or find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. Coming up on tomorrow's Real Talk, Jenny Yermi is going to be joining us. Uh, she's uh, a member. Uh, as a matter of fact, she's uh, in leadership at the Climate uh, Hub down in Calgary. We're going to be talking about coal mining in the Rockies. We're going to be talking about water sources, and we're going to be talking about oil and gas liabilities. I'm particularly interested to see what Jenny's going to have to say about our conversation with Danielle Smith this morning. And as we wrap right now, I also want to let you know that you won't want to miss Allegra Pacheco on the show tomorrow morning. She's an American-born international law attorney, a graduate of Columbia Law. She's worked for the UN. She's currently working out of Bethlehem, and she's a member of the uh, Decolonizing Palestine Project. We're going to get her informed and experienced take on what needs to happen in the Middle East. We hope you'll join us then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. 
Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.